A ship is safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are for. And to me, what that says is, take some chances, take those calculated risks, and be able to to live with whatever consequences are associated with that. Failing. 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 I know. When we talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, today I get to interview the founder and CEO of Health Carousel, who is actually my boss. And when I set this up, I've been wanting to interview him since I started there four years ago. But, you know, to interview your boss's boss is kind of a big deal, right? So he has promised me that today I am not his employee. Today, I am Sarah Brown, who is interviewing him on Failing Forward. I am so happy to welcome Bill DeVille. Very nice to uh, talk with you today, Sarah. All right, Bill, let's start it out. Uh, Where did you grow up? And tell me about your parents. So I was uh, born and raised in the Columbus, Ohio area. Uh, Actually grew up in a uh, a suburb called Westerville, Ohio. Okay. And um, uh, my parents uh, were... You know, interesting folks in their own uh, way. They were sort of opposites, uh, personality-wise, and uh, but in many ways they had a lot of shared values and uh, and and sort of, of thinking. My um, neither of them uh, were college graduates. They were. My mother was the oldest of ten children. Catholic. Catholic, both sides. Um, they. Uh, my my father was the oldest of, uh, uh, I think he was uh, five kids on on his side. Yeah. But um, they ran away and got married. At uh, my mother was seventeen. My father was twenty one. And uh, so they ran away and got married. And she had three children by the time she was you know twenty one years old or something. I forget what it was. And I was number two in the list. A total of uh, of four kids. You were t- so you were the second. I was four. the second. I was. Were the you second. the oldest boy, or did oldest you have an older brother? I, number, oh, I had an older brother, and um, you know, it was in thinking about this conversation with you. I one of the things that I thought about was all the times that I was um, underperforming against the uh, my brother. Mm. Uh, he was well, always wait. better than me at everything. So um, that's interesting. You said underperforming. And I was thinking you were going to say, you know, trying to live up to, but you always felt like you were underperforming, but he was older. How could you? I didn't, uh, I didn't have any perspective about that. And so. How much older? He was a year and a half older. He still is, but. (laughs) Right. So pretty close in age. Okay. Pretty close. Yeah. People thought we were twins for a while. Yeah. And but, all right. So can you explain Westerville to me? Like what kind of town is that? Can you describe it? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's a, uh, you know, relatively affluent area. I mean, middle income kind of 
town, and um, it is uh, it's the place that our, my family moved to after they had been through all of the many years of struggles. Okay. They first got married. Again, they neither one uh, went to college, so they both uh, worked multiple jobs. My dad had three jobs at one point to you know buy a house and take care of these this family that he started. Um, and you know he is uh, he's one of those uh, people that was uh, street smart, uh, cynical. And um, and and uh, willing to get in there and mix it up to go achieve a result. Sometimes perceived that that's a necessary thing to do. Uh, he could, what did he do? He became a credit manager, which I think is type is like central casting, you know, for him, right? Because uh, you know he's constantly evaluating credit worthiness and following up on past due invoices and that sort of thing. And so he was very successful at that. Um, and, you know, um, but he was, was, uh, afraid that at any point somebody, he was going to get uh, laid off and, and that, you know, his company was always restructuring and he was felt certain he'd be the next to go. And so he was always financially worried from every moment that I had ever been around him. He was, he was worried and, and you know, he had a family to support and he was all right. concerned that he was going to, you know, I think, let the family down financially. He, you know, he'd been through right after he was born, not long after the Depression, right? So right, that's what I was wondering. Still some lingering, you know, elements of that in society, his parents and that sort of thing. And so I think it shaped him a lot. Uh, How did that impact you? Because my dad, um, although would be, how old is your dad now? Well, he's deceased, but he um, he died when he was 63, which was, you know, probably um, uh, 19 years ago, something like that. Okay, I think he'd be around my same dad's age, my dad's age. And he, too, died. He died at 64. And but he also was always worried about money and that has impacted me. But I'm so curious how that has impacted you in the career choices that you've made, because you're an entrepreneur with just high risk. Yeah. So I have to say, this is one of my favorite stories. He when I was uh, in high school and I, you know, I would have one of those, you know, father son kind of conversations, you know, really heartfelt kind of thing where it's a dad. You know, how do you decide what? to do with your life, what, what to be when you grow up. How do you figure that out? And he said, well, if I were you, I would be an accountant. Mine did too. Did he? Okay. Yes, get insurance and be an accountant. Be an accountant. And I said, why would I on earth, you know, you know me, why in the world of all the things would you suggest that I should be an accountant? And he said, because the world will always need accountants. So you'll always be able to find a job uh, you'll never be rich, but you'll never be poor. And I said, wait a minute, what? that's not me. You know, I, I want to go, I'm an achiever. I'm going to go get it. I'm going to take risk. What do you, what, what is this play it safe, you know, formula about, you know, I'm not, that's not who I am. And so it, it kind of made me realize that honestly, at that particular moment, I thought, you know, that's not who I am. So did, kind of an interesting. Yeah. Did he, uh, so did he 
discourage you from job choices or no? Yes, he did. So uh, I took a job in, I accepted a job in uh, the recruiting industry when I was in college. And I did that because I was paying for my own college education, paying for my car, paying for my food, my clothing, my entertainment expenses. I'm paying for everything. Yeah. Trying to do it on a job working at a grocery store. And that's not going to get it done. No. And so I said, I need a job that I can actually make some real income. I also was kind of more mature than my age group in a lot of ways. And um, my priorities were different than them. Uh, they seemed to want to party all the time and I wanted to go accomplish something. And, you know, um, and so we just weren't on the same page. And so anyway, I, I thought, I don't belong working with people like this. This is not who I am. It's not, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't exploit my gifts, right? Yeah. I didn't have that phrase in my head, but I knew sure. I, in my gut that that's the, this was the wrong thing. I shouldn't be sacking groceries to pay my bills. You know, this is the wrong thing. And so I, um, I took a job as a recruiter. I accepted the position, and it was a draw against commission. It was a five-month draw against commission. And I told my father that I'd accepted the job. And he said, that is a major mistake. You are going to regret this for a very long time. But you go ahead and you go do this because you need to go learn this lesson. Um, which, by the way, motivated me to work even harder. But you know what I did in that move? is I failed forward. And the, and the reason that I, I, I uh, make that point is that I analyzed the downside uh, before I made the move. And I said, you know, what are the chances that I will make less money than what I'm making now? And what are the chances that I'll make more money than what I'm making now? And I evaluated that the chances were greater that I would make more and that if I, that wasn't true, that it wouldn't be hard to go get a job at a grocery store. Right. Okay. And I could be back where I was in short order. So I could live with the consequences of the decision not working out. And so to me, that's, that's a lot about failing forward. It's, it's um, basically uh, assessing the risk uh, of the situation and, you know, evaluating whether you can live with the consequences of your decision. Yes. As career moves, uh, grow and get, and have higher risk, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was it easier to take that leap? Was it the same, uh, I don't know if I want to say if you ever had any fear around it, but the, like, yeah. Was it the same thought and feeling? Yeah, it was exactly the same. There was no difference because the consequences for me at that time seemed big. At that moment, seemed pretty big. And so for relatively speaking, for where I was, they they were big. Um, but, you know, later I did the same calculated risks. I, mm-hmm. you know, what, and by the way, I have to tell you, this is so funny because I heard Jeff Bezos say, you talked about a regret minimization framework, okay? Regret minimization framework. Framework. And basically, he decided 
that he had to go start Amazon because uh, if he didn't, he would the, the regret that he would have would be so great that he that he let that opportunity go by that he was sort of therefore willing to you know take the risk that was associated with it and and uh, and I think that that again defines a lot of my thinking about it that it, you know I've got one life I've got to do with it what you know sort of maximizing what I can do with it while I'm here and there are certain things that if you don't do them at a particular time in your life the opportunity can pass and you and it gets to be too late to do it and uh, okay can you give me an example of of when an opportunity potentially has passed and then also um was it a calculated risk when you asked Shelly, your wife, to marry you? It was a calculated risk, it was completely a calculated risk. And, you know, I nobody wants to get turned down. Right. And um, I evaluated the probability of that occurring. And I assessed that it was not a high probability. So I, I felt very confident uh, and comfortable that I could do it. I was willing to live with the consequences there that, you know, if, if that, if the answer was no, I, I was, I, I, I prepared myself adequately to, you know, emotionally to be able to do that and to live with myself about it. But, um, you know, I was cautious before I made the decision, by the way, um, to her frustration because she was ready before I was. Um, Ellie, this is all for you. Well, you know, I mean, she would say that she would say, you know, how long does it take you to figure this out? You know, and I, right. uh, I was saying, listen, this is a major life decision. We're doing this one time. How long did it take you? How long? We dated for three years. I didn't think that was bad. Um, she thought I should have. I'm rolling my eyes. Within 12 months. She, she thought this is she knew. hard. Yeah. And so, she, you know, and I thought, hey, I want to make sure it's right. I was as concerned about her yeah. as I was about me. And right. And, uh, and I thought this is a um, decision of a lifetime. And so I'm going to be thoughtful and, and not rush this. And I'm going to I'm going to be ready when the time is right and and um, and be ready for the consequence. So I thought it through and she thought I was Spock was her reference by being why yeah well because i was um it, it was you know it, it wasn't just an emotional decision and she was accustomed to particularly the men that she had dated they were just you know all head over heels for head her head over heels head over heels and here i am being thoughtful and maybe cautious and analytical about whether this is because you know my thought was that that um Love is a decision of the heart, but marriage is a decision of the head, or it shouldn't be, okay? Because there's a lot of people you can love, but you, but you shouldn't marry all of them. Okay? Yeah. And so you got to figure out, okay, which is the one that really is a good choice for a, for a mate for life, which is different than, gosh, who do I love and who do I love being with? And because uh, and, there's lots of people, I can love a lot of people. Yeah. But to marry all those people, I, not so much. So I uh, and I had dated enough to know that. And uh, so anyway, I was really careful and, and cautious. And, uh, and you know, you know, I, I, I don't think I've ever told you this, but you're you are incredibly analytical, 
but you also care about people as much as you care about that analytical piece. And so when you just said that about Shelly, you said it wasn't just about me, but it was also about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and I have to tell you, I've seen lots of divorces and I've seen people that got married and I said, what did you do? Are you, they tell me, oh, we're engaged. I said, really? I didn't know you were at a place in your relationship to get married. How did, what, what happened? And they say, well, she started crying and, and, you know, she's, you know, wondered what, we're, you know, where are we going in the relationship? And are we, you know, it could be a, he started crying, Bill. Well, what's interesting is no, this is the guy said, and I, and I would say, so you proposed because right. crying is that why that that's how you came to the decision. And it seemed like an impulsive, almost thoughtless way to enter into a decision about marriage. And then I saw the divorces happening. And I said, ouch, okay, I, yeah. need, I don't need that I, for my sake or for my spouse. I don't need that. So I'm going to be careful. And that's the other thing about being the, second, the, the number two brother. Yes. I would see him make all kinds of decisions in his life and, you know, along the way. And I would say, oh, ouch, that looked like that hurt a little bit. I don't do. And I just tried not to do that. So you purposeful around that relationship and commitment. You also have a relationship and commitment with your business partners. That's right. And you've had that. Well, I don't know if current, the current founders were, if that was the first time that you had a partnership. It was that the first time. No. And, and maybe talk about the, the lessons learned from partnerships. Maybe there aren't any, I I don't know. Well, I, there's some hard lessons of partnerships. I would tell you, there's some difficult things. Um, Again, choosing your partners, um, it needs to be a thoughtful decision. And on the other hand, I'll tell you, there's risk no matter what you do in any of these things, whether it's marriage decisions or, or decisions about business partners, there there are risks associated with that. And I think to a large degree, you have to try to mitigate them. And then like in a marriage, you've got to work at the relationship and be compromises and- and, um, What was the number one thing you learned from your first partnership? Well- did you get burned at all on any of them either? Yeah, I mean, I, I did. I had, so the first thing that happened was that I, the first company that I worked for, I was there 18 years and we converted from a, a conventional business into a partnership. And so I had, you know, multiple people that were business partners that um, I didn't necessarily choose them. They were part of the organization as this all happened. Kind of like a law firm has partners like, like that? Kind of like a law firm. Yeah, okay. like that. And so- and they all had various levels of experience and perspective at being business owners um, and, and different uh, skill sets. And so, it, and there were lots of them. So it was, it was a little bit like herding cats, the phrase of herding cats. And so it was like that. And it, and it, uh, it was in many ways emotionally exhausting right? It was just very draining to me by the end. It was very draining. And, um, and so I actually, when I left that company to, to go, I, my plan was to start a business by myself. And I got introduced to another guy who, through a friend, who was interested in the same business that I was interested in, which was the staffing industry, and in particular, healthcare staffing. And, um, 
And he didn't know anything about that sector, but he knew a lot about uh, venture capital and private equity and okay. relationships with them. And I thought, well, I don't know that, but he does, and he doesn't know what I know. And so, you know, maybe there's something here. And so we collaborated and we, and we had a very good connection and, and, uh, and a shared thought process about it. And so I said, I think this can work. But so I had the first experience with a lot of people, a lot of different, uh, and it wasn't purposeful. And, and uh, but in any case, the second time here, it felt like a big risk. I mean, we were a $0 million company. Yeah. Basically developed the business plan. He built the financial model. What year is this? Just so I, I want 1996. Was when that okay? Okay, so mid nineties, uh, yeah. job market's not that great because that was the year I graduated from college. Yeah. Okay. Was so, healthcare staffing uh, on the up and up at that point? Healthcare staffing was um, the uh, sort of the the bottom of the food chain of staffing businesses at that time. And we were looking at it. This is the crazy thing. We looked at it and we said, why is this not at the top of the, of the pyramid, right? Right. Any sense? Because we knew all the demographics. We knew that the, the contingent labor movement was happening. We said, this is a pretty good buy low, sell high opportunity, right? If we get in now and yeah. the plan was to do acquisitions. And, and so we thought, okay, we're going to go, go down this path and, um, you know, at the time that eventually we would have an exit, that this would be, then it would be the hottest thing that is going, right? And so we thought that was a good move. And uh, a lot of people thought we were crazy because we didn't get into IT staffing because IT staffing was hot. Right. That's what I was going to ask you. What was the hot? Okay. It was hot. And we said, you know what, this is not, um, that's not, you don't want to jump on a train going 120 miles an hour, right? You want to, you want to get on something that, you know, is, is uh, at, a pace you can handle and then grow with it. And yes. one was the rising tide lifts all boats kind of philosophy that, that, you know, this is going to be a rising tide. And so we need the wind at our back basically to, to get success. So that's what we did. And, um, and that was a pretty successful business partnership. We again had different personalities, different skill sets, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sure that he accommodated me in a lot of ways. I know I accommodated him in a lot of ways. Um, and we were, and um, then what happened? And that's, what, and we had a tremendous success. The first thing that happened was we started in 1997. Uh, we started in the rehabilitation therapy sector. Um, and which was opportunistic, frankly, we, that's how we got going. And then um, shortly after we started, uh, Congress passed the Balanced Budget Act of 1997, which took $80 billion out of Medicare uh, spending, which was targeted toward, guess what, rehabilitation therapy. Oh. So what that did was it just completely decimated the rehabilitation therapy staffing sector. We, heard, we, we learned this as the bill was being uh, written. Oh my gosh. We pivoted quickly into uh, the nursing marketplace. And as a result of that, we ended up taking off like a rocket ship and um, ended up growing to uh, $120 million in revenue 
by within within uh, five years from what date. Yeah. Okay, so what could have been perceived as okay? We're going to close the doors because that got what, what loss of funding or whatever that's called. Yeah, yeah. Then because you guys said okay, we're not going to give up. We're going to switch to something else. Yes. Wow. So exactly. kind of a hidden blessing. Yeah. What I would call what I would say to you is it was a near death experience. We and I've had a lot of those, and one of the lessons of that particular one is that it's this whole um, um, conflict that is natural conflict that exists between focus and diversification. Okay. By choosing a niche uh, of therapy, we were focused. Okay, and when you're focused, you can execute well, get all kinds of efficiency in in your execution. Uh, your processes and, and and those kinds of things. And that's good for a young startup kind of business. Um, the problem is that it's like customer concentration. If you just have one customer and you lose that customer. That, All your eggs are in one right? basket. So yeah. you need enough diversification and enough focus. And that balance is is really critical. So I, I had that near-death experience informed me uh, and I and I frankly had learned this previously, so it was it was a, it was another episode of me learning the importance of diversification, as uh, to complement the the importance of focus. And okay, hold on. So, uh, do you have children at this point? Uh, I so when we started, so it's so funny. I got married. Uh, tw- uh, Twelve months later, I made this decision to start this new business. I persuaded my wife to quit her job. I quit my job, of which she said, I married you because you were 18 years of stability here. Go and tell me this. And so she, I say, quit your job. Let's quit my job. And before we have kids, let's go relocate and put our roots down someplace uh, that we want to spend the rest of our lives. And I'll launch my business there. Because if I launch it here, then it's going to be to move it. And we'll be kind of stuck here. So I said, let's 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 go do it before we've got kids and we're our roots are down and and so on and so we moved to charlotte north carolina okay sold the house in seven days uh she gets a job so that you know we can pay some bills while this new thing up and going um and then um i get introduced to the guy that i end up partnering with who was in cincinnati ohio i get funding from a private equity company in Cincinnati, Ohio. And they say, Bill, listen, we deal with startups all the time. And we want to tell you, you need to be here in Cincinnati, Ohio. No way. It's going to work. Yeah. So we then relocate back to Cincinnati, Ohio. And, um, and, and, you know, we had a, we end up uh, having a house in, in Charlotte that we had built. <gasps> yeah. We built a house in Charlotte and then um, I turn around, do this, uh, take this uh, opportunity uh, to go launch this new business. And I put all of my net worth, took a you know dramatic uh, reduction in compensation relative to what I'd been accustomed to. Have my wife quit her job again. Again. Uh, we've got the house in Charlotte. We had to, and by the way, she found out she's pregnant. And so we relocated to Cincinnati uh, about a month before she delivered our first child. Oh my God. We are with, I had a, 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 a double mortgage payment. 
uh, reduced income, all of our net worth at risk, and I've got the first uh, child uh, on the way. So, you know, um, I certainly was committed at that point. I'm yeah, you were. Win, right. And um, and and the, the investment uh, guys loved the fact that I I was all in. Um, and so but in any case, we then had the Balanced Budget Act of 97 get passed. And the sector we started in is decimated. We have this rapid pivot. Um, and, you know, we don't know whether we're you know, this is going to work or not work. And, and um, it, you know, with a lot of sort of trial and error through that process, we got it to work and we got it to work so well that we became one of the leaders in the emerging travel nursing sector. And so we were early pioneers in that. And, and was that called, was that HPO, healthcare yep. staffing? Yeah, okay. it was health personnel options was the name of the business. And okay. It became, it grew like a rocket ship. We, I would go get an office space. I would go get an office building for us. And I would, I would, I would say, okay, is this big enough that we can grow into it over a couple of years? And they want five-year commitments, right? Right. So I would go sign a five-year lease with a buyout at the midpoint, knowing that, you know, we might outgrow this thing in two years, and then we would outgrow it in 12 months. Insane. Insane. To be moving to another space already and then subleasing out the space that we were just in. And it was a. How many hours a week were you working? You know, first of all, you know, I, I always have worked hard my whole life. A lot of hours. I'm, I'm, I'm. Like what's your schedule? Like what time do you get up? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm typically up by six o'clock in the morning every day. Okay. And I usually, at that time, I was not doing this, but I was just working 60 hours, 80 hours a week was pretty common. Today, I'm trying to manage that, uh, you know, the time I spent, I want to live for starters. So I'm trying to be healthy and and, uh, make sure that I smell some roses along the way and all those kinds of things and uh, spend time with my family and, and priorities. And so uh, today I, I, I get up, I work out, I have a healthy breakfast. I have a little bit of mindfulness about, um, you know, what my priorities are and, and, you know, where I've been and where I'm going, that sort of thing. And, uh, and then I jump into work, but, but in, in the early years, there was none of that. I was, you know, you were working late and Saturday and Sunday over the weekends. And there was no, and it was a 24 seven we're dealing with healthcare, which is 24, seven, three, five to start out with. And they don't shut down. And then I've got this, you know, rapidly growing, booming business that, uh, frankly, I, it was pushing me harder than I was pushing it. Um, and so I had to do what was necessary for the business. And I'm kind of a servant leader anyway, which means that I'm subordinating myself to the needs of others. Right. Um, Can I ask, this is, this can be random, but it keeps popping up for me. Uh, you had mentioned, we were talking about your dad before and they were both from Catholic families was faith important to him or your mother. And how has that shaped you as a leader today? Yeah, I would say that, I mean, we, we definitely, you know, my, my father, my uh, uncle is a a Catholic priest and I'm named after him. Okay. So, um, because the thought was he would never have children. And so my grandmother persuaded 
my parents to name me after him. Um, and so, you know, yes, we, faith was a, was a big part of our, our family and our culture. And, um, and it shaped a lot of, in terms of values, um, certainly. Um, but I think that what is interesting was this idea that my mother, uh, sort of imprinted on me was that, you know, God helps he who helps himself. Okay. And that, you know, uh, when you're, um, looking, always hoping that you're, you know, somehow God's going to bail you out of everything. Um, you're missing the point that you need to um, be responsible for your own success in the world. And, um, and so it was kind of a corollary to the, you know, sort of the faith-based principles, if you will. Uh, and it was definitely a, that self-reliance principle just came screaming through both parents, you know, that were, it was all about them all day long and really teaching me to stand up on my own two feet uh, from early on, very early on. Because one, one of the themes that uh, almost every single person that I've interviewed, and I'm going to be at a hundred interviews in a few weeks, they all believed in something greater than themselves. It could be faith. It could be community. It could be values, but it was like that foundation made them more resilient and more successful. Yeah. Would that be true for you? And, think, and then how? Yeah, no, I think it, I think it is true. Um, but, you know, I think that it, the messaging I got was really more less about, about, um, you know, Catholic faith-based principles and really more about, um, you know, sort of, um, like character and value. Yes. And yes. And, and, uh, humanity and, and doing what's right and, and, uh, sort of being the best that you can be right. Whatever stage of life you're at, whatever, you know, you choose as an occupation to go be the very best at that, that you can be. And that the only thing that was my mother really inspired me so much that it's, it's, it's impossible to describe, but it was, you know, the, the idea that I could do and be anything that I chose to do and that it was really my choice to go do it or to not to go do it. Right. That don't give me any of this. You can't business. Okay. If you want it, you can, you've got what it takes inside you to go do it. And it really comes down to, whether you choose to do what you need to do to get what you want, you know, where you want to go. And so, and, and one of my favorite things, cause I told you my brother was always better than me at everything. Yeah. More athletic, more well-read, you know, he just was every, he was better than it, at everything. And so I was constantly trying to get up to his standard and I, and I would always, I, I was uh, fatalistic and, you know, I can't do this and I can't do that. And I was whining about it. You were? Yeah. And my mother, one day, who was this nurturing, positive, encouraging person, one day she said, you know something, you've convinced me. You actually can't do it. You're right. I don't know why I've spent all this time trying to tell you otherwise. You might as well go ahead and throw in the towel now, because as I reflect on it, you haven't got what it takes. Okay. I remember that moment. <laughs> the utter shock and disbelief that I had. 
How old were you? You know, I was young. I was I was probably in elementary school, you know, so um, and I was just this whiny kid. Right. Who was constantly never going to live up to my brother and was never good enough. And, you know, I just had this 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 really negativism. And, you know, she sort of smacked me out of it with with that reaction. And, you know, it made me interestingly want to go prove that wrong. Yes. This whole idea that that I couldn't, you know, I was I actually wanted to go try to prove it. And and then, of course, as I succeeded at it, then then I had some it was validating that I actually could do it if I set my mind to it. Well, and she lived. uh, Did she pass away last year? I believe. Yes. She saw you achieve great dreams. Yeah. She did. And, you know, interestingly, there, her biggest thing there was uh, humility, was the important lecture series that she had about that. And it was about recognizing the, you know, the gifts that others had given that helped me along the way. So it was the, 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 the music switched to a different, yeah. okay, as, as that went along. Um, but, you know, she was always a grounding force. Uh, so my dad was telling me, you know, all these things about, you know, how the world was going to be out to get me. And, you know, people are, you know, can be bad actors and they can be, uh, you know, uh, they can lie to you and cheat you and and let you down. And and uh, and so be alert to that and be awake to that and don't be naive to that. And then my mom, on the other hand, was this, you know, one person pep rally all the time, you know, Gosh. Um, I can be and say and do anything, you know, that my, I can think. And, um, and so that's why they were such a tremendous, you know, what a perfect balance. It really was, but it was on some ways levels, it was a little confusing because I'd go talk to him and I'd get one vibe and I'd go talk to her and I'd get the other. And you know, I'd say, okay, maybe there's a balance here somewhere. And, but, it, but the, you know, one of the things about parenting that I'll tell you that I've tried to do with my kids is the things they tell you that create tapes in your head, right? Yeah. You get to those moments in life where you've got to make some decision about something and those tapes play in your head. And I think I got to make sure I put the right tapes in my kids' heads, you know, for their sake, for the long run. Yeah. Um, so- I think, and I think it's also our responsibility to want to put the correct tapes in our own head. And and to watch what tapes we allow in and allow and not allow in. Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's another thing about who you surround yourself with, right? And I think those are choices. Right. And you know, you get to a certain age and you start figuring out, hey, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be friends with this person anymore. What am I doing? I'm not yeah. myself, right? And um, and so I I went through that. So I think you know, one of the points that I was wanting to make to you was two things about about failing forward because i just love the 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 name of this thing okay because um you know it's to me it's 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 about you know making the decisions to take risks based upon that regret minimization framework and based upon the fact that we all have a limited amount of time and based on the fact that um, you know, we have to be able to manage the downside. We have to live with the whatever consequences of our decision. We have to say, okay, if this goes bad, can I live with the consequences of this? Right. I rebound. Can I handle it? 
And, um, and so I haven't had a lot of major failures in my life, personal failures or business failures in the traditional sense of failures, right? But God, have I had setbacks and I've had, yes, I've had, you know, all these things where, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, particularly my kids, they don't know that I ever had challenges or struggles in my life. They look at me thinking this just all, this is how I've always been. This is where I've right. always been in, in life. But hold on. I think a lot of people think that about others. And that's what I like about this podcast is because it normalizes people and they yeah. can see the humanity in others. Okay, yeah. keep going. Well, and you know, the fact that the, your, the, the, the doubts that you have, the insecurities that you have, uh, the, you know, sort of the gut wrenching decisions that you have to make sometimes. And, um, and so, but I, I had this, uh, I used to read quotes and there was one that said that a ship is safe in the Harbor, but that's not what ships are for. Okay. And I thought to myself, you know, that's why I got into the, I launched the first business. That's why I decided to quit a job of 18 years where I had a great position, was making good money and had, you know, success and, and the trappings of success by a lot of people's standards. And um, I could have been there forever. I could have just kept on going. And I, decision, I, love, I love that quote. Can you repeat that quote one more time? And I think we should, we should close with that because I think it's beautiful. Yeah. A ship is safe in the harbor. But that's not what ships are for. And to me, what that says is, um, you know, life is about getting out there and and trying as hard as you can to be the best you can be. Take some chances. Take take not every risk that you can see. Take those calculated risks and be able to um, to to live with whatever consequences are associated with that. Um, and so that is a, that's a thoughtful decision, a thoughtful risk and not just any, you know, sort of knee jerk, uh, chance that, that, that you might see. And that's kind of how I've tried to operate in my personal life and in my professional life. So that's a wrap and I'm tearing up as we finish this. I, I love that quote so much, Bill, thank you for spending the time. I know you're super busy and I really, really appreciate it. And, um, I love you as my leader. You're not, he listeners, he's not a touchy feely. So, but I always try to get touchy feely with him and he, he doesn't let me do it. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Thank you. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. 